This week on Priority One, Santiago Cabrera discusses hollows, Frakes reflects on finding Riker, Pete challenges Pat to trivia, and Short Treks gets a hard copy. In gaming news, we sit down with Star Trek Online lead designer Al Captain Gecko Rivera and review the latest happenings in the Star Trek gaming multiverse. Then, we look on screen to Episode 8 of Star Trek Picard, Broken Pieces. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 453 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, March 17th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, March 20th, 2020. I'm Elijah. I'm Kat. And I'm Tony. And in the audio booth is our chief engineer, Skiffy. Hello. Before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in on the weekly conversations, whether via social media platforms like facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod, or by email to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. So, Captains, this is that part of the show where I try to convince you to join our Patreon family. As I've mentioned in all of our previous episodes, Patreon is a way that you can support the production of this community-driven, volunteer production. All while earning special perks that we try to provide our patrons from month to month, including an entirely separate podcast that we call After Hours. So content, content, content. You'll also get exclusive early access to interviews when available. For instance, we sat down with Al Rivera on Saturday, March 14th, and the next day, patrons got it. So if you'd like to know more, visit patreon.com forward slash priority one, or just click the link in our show notes. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Then let's check it out. This week's Star Trek Picard episode, Broken Pieces, gave us a clearer look at La Serena's captain, Chris Rios. Sci-Fi Wire sat down with the man behind Rios and all of those hollows, Santiago Cabrera, to talk about the many faces of the haunted captain. Cabrera told Sci-Fi Wire that he didn't want the hollows to be a gimmick. Quote, There had to be substance to it. What hooked me, and what I loved about it, was the psychology behind a man who is alone and happens to be with these versions of himself. It's better when you can reveal something about a character without saying too much. End quote. The portrayal of so many holograms likely wouldn't have worked if not for clear distinctions, like those glorious accents. Quote, they said, what accents can you do? And I said, I can do anything, which was mostly true. Some accents are very easy and accessible for me. End quote. That includes Emmett's the Spanish-speaking tactical hologram. 
But according to Cabrera, the Scottish accent proved to be a bit more difficult, saying, quote, that was the one I had to work on the most. Michael Shabon really wanted to do an homage to Scotty. So he was like, can you do Scottish? That was a tricky one. So I got a Scottish friend of mine to help read the lines with me. I just made sure I had the lines down very, very early. It was one of my favorites because I had more time with it, end quote. For more of the interview, which includes Cabrera's preparation for playing the jet-setting Rios and his thoughts on working alongside Sir Patrick Stewart, follow the link in our show notes. So Elijah, you were worried about them homogenizing the Latin nature of this these characters. How do you feel about there being a Spanish-speaking hologram? Um, I'm sorry, not a Spanish, a Scottish accent hologram is what I meant to say. I, you know, it's. I think that it takes away a bit from Santiago Cabrera's portrayal of Rios. I I understand the purpose of it, right? And why they're doing this to show the pieces of this man in some way, shape or form. But I would, I think I would rather give him more time. Rios, right? Let's, let's just deal with Rios and not these projections of him in in one way, shape or form. I mean, he is a Latino character of, of Chilean descent, I believe. The character that is and so i don't know i would have rather i think i would have rather spent time with him we can spend all sorts of time with him you know the time that he spent in ireland the time that he spent in scotland he spent time in lots of places and he's gonna spend it with you i mean they had two choices one they could change his accent or they could like make him wear different colors there's the green guy doing the sick bay thing and there's the red guy that does the engines i mean those are the two choices they had to make a good tv Either sound or visual. They had to pick one of the two. Well, Captains, that brings us to our first community question this week. Of all the Rios Hollows, which is your favorite? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or follow us on social media and keep an eye out for our community question post. It was a busy week for Sci-Fi Wire. They also sat down with actor, director, and fan favorite Jonathan Frakes to talk about what it was like to get back in front of the camera as Will Riker. Frakes admitted that, like co-stars Jerry Ryan and Jonathan Del Arco, finding his former role's voice was challenging. Only through collaboration with showrunner Michael Chabon was the 67-year-old Star Trek veteran able to find his cadence. Quote, I had very long, very specific conversations with Michael about Riker's turn of phrase for every scene. He slipped me the script early, and I worked on it for a long time. We had a line-by-line, word-by-word process. He understood completely, and what ended up on the page was a total collaboration. I didn't change the story, but I changed certain rhythms. Not sure if they felt more like Frakes or more like Riker. End quote. Regarding the Troy Riker's long-running relationship, Frakes said, quote, Troy and Riker were lovers before they transferred to the Enterprise, and then that story was buried so they could be whatever, available to relationship with random aliens. But we held on to this relationship and insisted to each other that we maintain it. And as a result, I think, it resurfaced in the final movie, in which the two characters were married. It was very important, this relationship. We take it very personally, and we feel wonderfully vindicated to see them return. End quote. Frakes, who was also involved behind the camera, gave an update on Star Trek's other show, Discovery. Quote, As we know, they've gone 930 years into the future. And in that is optimism. Certainly for Michael Burnham, she's had a life-changing experience over the break between seasons. The new season isn't driven by fears of the past. It's driven primarily by the second chance that the crew of the Discovery is given. It's brighter, more complex. I think it's thrilling. End quote. There was a lot covered in the interview, including his directing Picard and fans' reception of Trek's two newest series. 
Follow the link for a closer look. On March 13th, former presidential hopeful Pete Buttigieg took the reins of Jimmy Kimmel Live. During the episode, Buttigieg, a well-documented Trekkie, interviewed Sir Patrick Stewart before challenging the legend to Star Trek trivia. In a segment titled, Who's the Captain Now?, Buttigieg and Stewart answered questions from former TNG co-star LeVar Burton. The inquiries ranged from the title of Star Trek The Next Generation's first episode to the character that made Picard facepalm and ended with Sir Patrick winning barely. It was a fun segment and worth the watch if only for the ribbing Burton gives to both Stewart and Buddha Judge. Well, of course, we'll have a link in our show notes. Oh my god, this little sketch oh, it's was so hilarious. funny. <laughs> it really was. I particularly liked when Sir Patrick Stewart forgot Lacutus. <laughs> like, the question was, you know, what, what was Picard's Borg name? And he, and Picard blanked out and <laughs> forgot that his name was Lacutus. Yeah, it was a really fun and sweet little sketch. And if you haven't tracked it out, be sure to do so. I want to see LeVar Burton host a game show for real. Oh, he's great. I like we asked Sir Patrick about his toupee. (laughs) (laughs) He wouldn't be able to do that with all of the guests on his putative future game show, but I mean, some of them for sure. All the bald ones would get that question. Did you used to wear toupee? I think that would be his signature line. Well, if you haven't watched Star Trek's short treks, Because of their limited distribution, you'll soon have the opportunity to partake in the bite-sized Trekisodes. On Sunday, March 15th, StarTrek.com announced the release of Short Treks on Blu-ray and DVD. In addition to the episodes Runaway, Calypso, The Brightest Star, The Escape Artist, Q&A, The Trouble with Edward, Ask Not, Efferman Dot, and The Girl Who Made the Stars, you will also get a look behind the scenes with making of documentaries and commentary. Both Blu-ray and and DVD versions are set for release on June 2nd, and the Blu-ray can be pre-ordered at Amazon.com for $25.99 US dollars, at least at the time of this recording. That sounds yeah. high. For what it's you're like getting. four months of CPS All Access. My God. Good luck getting it from Amazon anyway. You could. <laughs> They'll, well, true. you can order it. They just won't deliver it anytime soon. You should bundle it with, with toilet paper and four gallons of bleach. <laughs> They'll get it right to you. Well, we mentioned earlier that these short treks have had limited releases throughout the world. It seems that season one is on Netflix outside of the U.S., but season two hasn't been released yet. So, yeah, this might be the answer for those of you outside of the U.S. and Canada that haven't been able to watch part two, season two of Short Treks. Now, if memory serves, season one of Short Treks was released to Netflix internationally just as the next season of Discovery started. So there's a possibility they could do that when Discovery Season 3 launches. Mm-hmm. They may batch load those all, but yeah. Go straight to the trouble with Edward. No. Ugh. Ew. That one was the best one. Um, uh-uh. Get out of Calypso is the man. best one. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. if, I had to, if I had to rate it, Calypso. Out of the Season either. 2 batch, the trouble with Edward is the best one. Cali- uh, Calypso Ask probably not is. Was, oh, Ask I Not was the best one out of that. No, that was... I'm going to not say hate. I absolutely disliked The oh. Trouble with Edward. Well, that's okay. You can be wrong. It's all right. Oh, I disliked it as well very you much You can be so. wrong, too. It's okay. <laughs> Everyone can be wrong. It's all right. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Cryptic Studios have announced an upcoming special video premiering on YouTube March 23rd. 
The video titled Behind the Scenes, Measure of Morality will offer viewers a glimpse into the minds behind the 10th anniversary episodes. Sitting down for the roundtable discussion will be senior content designer Jesse Heinig, lead designer Al Rivera, lead environment artist Scott Boyd, animator Weston Pierce, and environment artist David Lopez. These cryptic developers will each offer their takes on the episodes and their experiences contributing to the development process. For a link to the YouTube videos page, check out our show notes. Well, you could watch that on March 23rd, or you can already head on over to our social media platforms and content platforms like YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, because we've uploaded our own director's commentary featuring Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, for the first part of the 10th anniversary episode's Measure of Morality. Stay tuned because we've got part two coming up. Star Trek Online's Mud's Market section of the C-Store will be running another 80% off sale from March 19th through March 23rd. Mud's Market offers players a chance to use Zen to purchase items that were previously exclusively available during past events or giveaways. With regular pricing on the market being prohibitively high, these recurring sales are the expected windows of opportunity for players looking to pick up these items. And like with previous sales, Mud's Market is adding new items for this iteration. Joining the market are the Kelvin Timeline Admiral Uniform, the T-6 Vulcan Tapau Scout Ship, and the Terran Gorilla Combat Armor. The Kelvin Timeline Admiral Uniform is a costume option that was originally a giveaway during the 50th anniversary of Star Trek back in 2016. The T-6 Vulcan Tapau Scout Ship was the free prize during last year's 9th anniversary event. And the Terran Gorilla Combat Armor was originally rewarded for initial completion of the Peril Over Pavo Featured Task Force Operation in March of 2019. Just to reiterate, do not buy anything from Mud's Market when it's at normal price. That's cool. They're, they're putting a scout ship in there. It's a really small ship, though. I like it. Yeah. But it's really small. You know, this ship, the mastery trait, the fifth mastery trait, emergency response teams, isn't bad. It'll actually give you a secondary shield when a facing shield has been depleted. So it's actually pretty pretty good if, you, if you're feeling a little squishy in whatever ship you're in. Yeah, I, I don't think I use that trait because I've only leveled that ship up on one character, but, but yeah. Um, the Universal Console rebounding resonant frequencies gives you plus 3.3% maximum hull and plus 21.4 starship hull penetration. So it improves upon your damage, right? And how quickly you can take down an enemy ship. Well, moving on, Cryptic Studios released a special message to players on Monday, March 16th. In the message, Cryptic speaks to players about how the current pandemic response is affecting the studio. While the studio is taking steps to protect its staff, their intentions are to keep all games running by working remotely. The message closes with, quote, we appreciate your understanding while we adapt to both ensure a positive play experience for all of you. And, keep our studio family safe, end quote. In another tweet posted by Star Trek Online, they informed players that the Tribble and Red Shirt test servers will be unavailable to the public for at least a few weeks because those servers will be used by the development teams for remote development and testing. On behalf of everyone here at Priority One Podcast, we wish that everyone over at Cryptic Studios remain healthy and safe during these crazy times. Now let's look on screen for the eighth episode of Star Trek Picard titled Broken Pieces. On screen. Computer, set Star Trek Picard, episode eight, Broken Pieces, on screen. The episode opens with a group of Romulans, Jatvash initiates, 
grouped around a device that will show them a warning from an ancient civilization. A warning of what would happen if synthetic life is allowed to exist. A warning that drives most of them insane. We also learn that the Romulanister family is larger than we originally assumed. Back on the Borg cube, Elnor is hunkered down in Hugh's office, waiting to be saved by Seven of Nine, aboard La Serena, or La Exposición. <laughs> we spend most of the episode piecing together conspiracy theories and learning about everyone's past in one form or another. All the while, Gerardi gets to walk around the ship, jump back to the Borg cube, and Seven can only save them by becoming the queen. On La Serena, we're given the plot to the Cylon takeover. I mean, a captivating backstory linking Rios to the synth. All right. So this one was quite the episode. But before we get into our opinions about it, uh, let's talk about some of the touchstones from previous Trek that we might have spotted during the episode. Uh, Up first, the Viridium Tracker uh, and her chewable... Gerardi's chewable. Is, yeah, Gerardi's chewable. Um, I thought they were called edibles. Is actually, I'm sorry, I'm old and out of touch. No, the, <laughs> I thought they were called, when they're in the little well, gummies. that was first. They were in the little gummies or the edibles, I thought. <laughs> well, well, that's a callback to uh, Undiscovered Country. The first iteration of the Viridium Tracker was the little patch that Spock slaps on Kirk. Did anyone check the chewable was like in a Flintstone shape? A little triangle. No, it was a little. It was, like a, it was a little yeah. triangle. I saw. I saw someone make a, a Mentos well- commercial. Was that posted in our chat in our Discord? I think <laughs> <laughs> they made a Mentos. Fresh yeah, and, and they they <laughs> they spliced it with with eat, her eating it, and then her and Rio sort of you know doing the kissy face thing and on the on the ship, <laughs> and then they cut, and then at the very end they cut to her foaming at the mouth after she gave herself that injection to get rid of the thing. Oh, it was, wow. it was it was it was a, it was a tragic and a little bit disturbing ending, but. I laugh because I'm sick like that. <laughs> also, we had a name drop. Marta Batanides is from Tapestry. Uh, it's the young cadet that Picard has a bit of a fling with when Q gave him a chance to uh, change his life a bit. So that's season six, episode 15 of Tapestry. Tapestry is the one, the Domjot episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Didn't he say, I knew her only slightly? Picard knew of the captain... Slightly because of his conversations okay, okay. with Marta. Uh, and also, this wasn't necessarily a direct touchstone, but according to Michael Shabon on his Instagram Q&A session, the Takan are the race of beings that moved the suns into the position of the Conclave of Eight, to that eight-star configuration where the Romulans find the message. Uh, in... The Takan are mentioned in Season 1, Episode 5 of TNG, titled The Last Outpost. It's the first time we are introduced to Ferengi in TNG. But according to Shaban, the Takan are the species that are being referred to in this episode of Picard. That makes me unhappy. Why does that make you unhappy? For reasons. Would you like to know what they are? Why don't you tell us? I would. Because it makes very little sense for an empire which... They knew to exist several hundred thousand years ago. They have relatively recent proof of its existence because the Enterprise made contact with their, you know, AI guardian fellow. They had some direct knowledge of, of, of that empire. And somehow they missed a, an octanary star system that's floating out there nearby and accessible to these people. Like, no one has seen this thing. If this thing's supposed to be a warning, 
to people about the dangers of artificial life, how can only the secret secret police of the Romulans know about it and have managed to keep an eight-sun system a secret? Wouldn't you think the gravitational pull from that would affect other things and would have shown up on their sensors at some point? I mean, even... Well, I mean, my guess is that the Romulans are masking it somehow. For how long? But why? I thought it was a Uh, warning, like... Yeah! (laughs) To play devil's advocate, the Dyson Sphere episode, they had never discovered, even though it had a gravitational pull. How... But then again, you weren't. That wasn't admitting right. <laughs> exactly. It's you know, if, if 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 you're looking for a hole in space, sometimes you miss them, right? Because there's a whole lot of other black emptiness all around it, you know. But this should be emitting eight different flavors of light all over the place. I like Advisory Panda's statement in the chat that the admonition on that planet, that special message, is the galaxy's most vicious end-user license. (laughs) (laughs) That scene was pretty intense. There were, like, most of them and Narcissa, or whatever her name is. Is it Narcissa? Now I just want to call her that. Romy Um, Lannister. Narissa. Yeah, Romy Lannister. Uh, She's just standing there, but everyone else is like, oh my god! (laughs) No, shoot yourself in the head. I'm cool. I mean, yeah, she's just like, wow, okay, Okay. So I thought that there were some cool moments in this episode. Um, I didn't hate the episode. I didn't terribly dislike it. Um, I mean, the the scene where Seven ultimately becomes the Boar Queen, I thought was cool. Um, the CGI could have been a little better, though, with those those tentacle things. They call her Galadriel, tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix 01. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, and you know there were they they had there were these moments, but uh, overall this was just a just nothing but exposition. This was just nothing happened in this episode, other than them telling stories. They should have left Seven plugged in. I mean, that was a really uh, cool scene. There's a lot of Rios in this episode. Not that that's all terrible, but yeah, it didn't really do go anywhere, do anything. I guess they're building up to the big finale. <laughs> How much more are they going to be building? I- My issue with this entire episode is I don't think the episode should have existed. I think every discovery, every plot point, every revelation they've had should have been rolled out over the previous seven episodes. You mean should have been condensed into three prior episodes leading up to a two-hour finale that we we should be getting to next week? Yeah, that. This was the uh, shoe kicking the ball into the bucket part of the Rube Goldberg device, you know. Now, next week, it's going to go down a bunch of stairs and then hit the final switch that'll bring the cage down. And that's the, you know, they, they a lot of this stuff, like Skiffy said, could have been sprinkled in a lot earlier. And the, the, this 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 one was marking time to, to finishing the episode, uh, to, or to finishing the series. They knew where they're supposed to go at the end of the Riker episode, and they took all hour to not get there. That just galls me. Yeah, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, with Rios, Santiago Cabrera is... A very talented actor. Um, you know, he's not disappointing in any way, shape, or form. And I am invested in that character. Um, I just still think that it's... I don't know. It's I, I, I want Rios. I don't want these other holograms. Yeah, it's fun and kind of funny and campy a little bit. Um, and clearly, Santiago Cabrera has the acting chops to be able to pull these different characters off. But... I would rather spend more time with Rios, right? I would rather spend more time with him and and the and the, his Chilean culture that he has embraced or heritage that he's embraced. Um, it's yeah, not that just, kind of show. 
It's just not yet. I mean, maybe in season two and three and four they'll get there, but these these people are exposition devices. I mean, Rios's whole purpose right. was to explain why the synths were getting off the planet earlier. I mean, his whole purpose is to connect the first departure of uh, of the synths from their planet and the interception by Commodore O and the death of his captain, right? His whole purpose here is to serve as the connection between the dastardly plot and the origin story of the first synths leaving, leaving that planet. It's the only reason he's there. I will say this, this, this story is pretty close to the opening of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. I mean, remember the opening of the of the reboot in Battlestar Galactica, you see Caprica 6 coming to this outpost that is designed to be the only connection between the, the human race and the Cylons. So they send an ambassador. It's Caprica 6, and she blows everybody up, but... That's beside the point. No, 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 no. It's, um, it's, but they just, you know, it's a switcheroo, right? Instead of the Cylon, the, the Starfleet people, the Jatvash, are afraid that the synths are going to blow everybody up, so the humans act first and shoot the shoot the synths. Right. I mean, it's the just the pre-plan to the, the plan. <laughs> exactly. I also think about the Animatrix and the Zion Archive episodes where the machines actually send two ambassadors, two android ambassadors, to the United Nations to kind of plea for a peace kind of thing before they darken the skies. So, yeah, these, this story is starting to turn out to feel a little unoriginal. I mean, to some extent, you have to play on certain features and certain commonalities in it, but it, it, at some point it become, it tips over into laziness rather than homage, right? It's hard to Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. All right, so so Shane asks a good question here. Did Maddox create the synths or not? Were they already an existing species of synths? Uh, that has yet to be a revelation. We don't know us. yet. Because at this episode, it kind of seemed as though there was a race of synths already in existence that, that Maddox kind of just stumbled upon. But in the previous episode, even the episode where we are introduced to Maddox, or see Maddox, rather... It really does sound as if though he's the one who created them. So I guess I don't know. I don't. I, you know who, who's, who knows. Well, the question then becomes: Is our protagonist? There's been a presumption here that she is a descendant of Data in some way, shape, or form. So if there's a planet full of synths, are they all a derivative of Data in some way, shape, or form, or are they separate and somehow? There was a mistaken creation of data that happens to match an entire race that was out there. I mean, there's a there could be a lot of complexity to this depending on what we see in the next two episodes. I also don't understand how Gerardi just was able to walk around and then try to make jokes like I'm done murdering people. <laughs> not funny. I mean, I I get that that was supposed to be not funny and make us all awkward. So I guess it did its job. But also, shouldn't she be? Handcuffed? She pinky swore to turn herself in. I do like how Soji's like, oh, I could totally take you. <laughs> She's like, you would get anywhere near me. Yeah, so. that, that part's real. I like that. Yeah. The kissing and making up part a little bit later on, I, I don't. You know, people who wanted the old Star Trek back, well, there you go. There's a lot of forgiving and forgetting going on here. You know, yes, you murdered Bruce Maddox, you're a very bad person, but you did shoot yourself full of poison and foam at the mouth in order to shake the tracker, and it worked. So, you know, you get points for that. Some of it's just TV, right? You know, they have to pull together to defeat the big bad guy in the last episode, so... A completely different topic, but I particularly enjoyed the moment where the Starfleet says they're going to send the fleet to Picard for him to command, and then immediately they leave under Transwarp Conduit to go somewhere else. Right. Man, I was really looking forward to some awesome ship... Yeah... No, this is just another Eremotic Syndrome moment. Last episode. This week. 
the fleet's never coming. Why not? They're not. They're not coming. They were going to the starbase. Picard's supposed to meet them at the starbase. Picard disobeys another order, even though he's technically not in the fleet anymore. She says, you go there and you stay put. I'm sending you a squadron. And he's like, yeah, I'm getting a squadron. And they're like, no, we got to go there right now. And he's like, yeah, we better go there right now. Have you seen the memes about that scene? Um, it's, you know, she says, shut the f*** yeah. to Picard. And then the, some of the memes <laughs> are... Uh, yeah, yeah. It was like, Wesley find, is like Wesley smiling. One of them was him with a grin on his face. Another one had uh, the credits say, written, directed, and produced by Will Wheaton. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our review of Star Trek Picard's eighth episode, Broken Pieces. That's it for this week in gaming news. Now we welcome Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera, to join us for a dive into the game. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. This week we're pleased to have with us Star Trek Online's lead designer. Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Al, thank you so very much for joining us on this Saturday afternoon. It's always a pleasure having you. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to be here. Good to see you all. Let's jump in. We just finished celebrating the 10th anniversary for Star Trek Online. Some of us are just starting to celebrate it because it just made it to console, remember? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Some of it, That's true. That's true. So, so we'll so, be talking spoilers. Now, before we jump into talking about the missions and the voice acting, I kind of want to find out from you what it means to you that Star Trek Online is is now 10 years old. And I know from our previous conversations that I mean, you've been working on the game for longer than 10 years. Uh, yeah. Um, what it means to me is that I feel really old and I've been working on the game for 12 years then about. So I was the first employee on Star Trek Online and when... Jack Emmert, the CEO at the time, approached me that we looked like we were going to acquire the license from CBS because Perpetual originally had the license to build the game and they were not able to deliver for whatever reason. So we took the opportunity to, to build that to uh, say, yeah, we could do that. But they wanted to, I guess they felt, I don't know if I want to say burned, but they just felt hesitant about licensing it again since they weren't able to successfully get anything from Perpetual after about a year and a half or so. And so we built a prototype in six weeks because we already had an engine, right? We already had City of Heroes and we were working on Champions at the time. I was working on Champions. Um, I was systems, systems lead at the time on Champions. And Jack Emmert offered me lead designer position on, on Star Trek Online. And I was completely ecstatic. It was, I mean, not only just my first lead opportunity, but uh, like full lead, but, uh, you know, to work on Star Trek because he knew that I loved it. And we were able to put a demo together in six weeks because we had, we already had an engine. So the foundation of Star Trek Online is built on superheroes from Champions Engine. So the flying ships, uh, the fundamentals of how it flies is based on all the tools we made for champions and a lot of it's still there in that demo you know we created you know shield facing and and firing arcs and there may have been some old bugs of this in space there's actually gravity pointing straight down all the ships are flying they have a fly attribute on them just like a superhero would they just always have it on that fly would turn off your ship would just fall straight down um, 
It's <laughs> 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 just, but that's just how it's, it's built. That's the superhero engine, right? That's just what we built it on, and and we just kept going with it because we had to build the game in like 16 months. We had 16 months to make the game. That's part of the contract or something. Maybe we ended up getting a short extension for maybe about 18 months or something. You know, we built the game. We built basically a ground and a space MMO in 16 to 18 months. I think our launch did well but the game was if people remember from the beginning it was was just okay it was cool it was good but you know we rushed that out and then two years later we went free to play and changed everything about the game and over the years we basically rebuilt the entire game almost everything how does it feel i mean it, yeah I, I joke but yeah i feel old because i've put 12 years of my life into this game and seven 18 years 17 years at the company but it's uh, it was a great way to spend those and those years it's a great legacy to be a part of a great ip I've met a lot of really interesting people and had a lot of fantastic opportunities along the way. And the opportunity to tell stories within Star Trek is just, I mean, basically every Trekkie's dream come true. So it's a tremendous amount of opportunity and uh, just fun to look back at over the last 12 years. I'm just super proud of what we have because STO is still doing phenomenal. I mean, the anniversary was actually probably the biggest day that we've had in all of Star Trek history. Biggest number of players and biggest uh, on money. It was just absolutely huge. So the game's got no sign of slowing down. It's in full swing right now. A lot of that was because it was the 10th anniversary and the celebrities we got and the news coverage we got. And it's just, you know, it's a huge milestone. So a lot of people came back. It was just, it was, it was huge. So it's a really good time for us right now. Have you ever done like your own little captain's log or journal for you personally? And, and like, I think to myself, Gecko's log started 2009. <laughs> we are just about to launch, or 2010. We are just about to launch Star Trek Online. Like, I, I, do you have anything like that that you have gone back to now that we're 10 years in, and think to yourself, "Wow, things are different." Yeah, I can't say I've ever done anything like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> the closest thing I have is uh, old uh, Party One episodes. So. I think we could maybe run a best of or something over one time and just like go through all the old, see, see, see a little less gray in the beard and see a little, uh, see how things have changed over the years. But yeah, I don't have any personal, I never expected to be working on this game for 12 years. I would, who knew? A game that's running for 10 years, that's a very small number of, of games. It's a small brotherhood or whatever family of the games. Like, what have you got? You got EverQuest. Um, Ultima, is Ultima Online still going, I guess? WoW isn't at 10 years yet, I don't think. WoW's still only like eight or nine years. So could they long? No, no, WoW's before. No, WoW's longer than that. WoW's before. I, I'm comparing it to City of Heroes. It's mixed up in my brain. Yeah, City of Heroes. WoW came out after City of Heroes, right? And we came after WoW. So WoW's in at 10 years. So it's not too many. I'm sure there's several more. But it's a, it's a very small, small club. The Matrix Online is not part of that family. Drink! Matrix Online is not part of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing it back. <laughs> I saw a Reddit post uh, within the last couple of weeks where somebody had um, dug up some old screenshots of the version one ESD. Yeah. And that that trickled in a whole thread of people sharing screenshots of ESD throughout the years. And I, I think it's cool how the community and the environment in the game has grown throughout the years. And we've been able to take that journey with you guys. I think that's great. I think it'd be really great to see other things like screenshots of the UI over the years. I mean, that kind of was crappy at first. It's kind of basically about the same now. And obviously, except the console UI is very different and the character creation is different. Like, I wonder what it looked like if you took all the screenshots of all the galaxy class ships next to each other and watching them progress. How, many, how often that Thomas and the ship team have updated some of the classic ships. 
Is that is that something you can do? Like, do you have archives of the old? No, I just he just said the users were doing that with Space Talk. I thought maybe they might have old pictures of the old of the old ones. Uh, we technically might be able to do that, but it wouldn't be trivial. We would because it's all in source control, so we could technically bring them all up. But yes, yeah, just be interesting in general to be looking through how the game has changed. A lot more changes. I mean, we've really over the last year has up, upped our art quality. I mean, I, I will put story aside, which I think has definitely changed a lot. But the art quality has gone up, and characters are changing. You're going to see a lot of new changes coming to the game to increase to to improve the art on characters and environments. It's just, but it's tough, right? Because the game just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You're looking at stuff where the game is. You're looking at assets that are ten years old up to and assets that are brand new. For instance, we're doing some some Klingon stuff, and we've got characters like Jaula and brand, or, or, or a car and other brand new Klingon assets up against 10 year old Klingon character assets that's, ooh, that's that's a problem but that's the nature of a game like this it's just it is what it is you, know, you could load up an old map because we still have some old old maps in the game says so wow this this doesn't this doesn't look good it looked great before but now it's different now so that's a that's a challenge to to constantly not only just by making making new stuff but constantly trying to update your old stuff it, it'll never be done because by the time we do it'll be it'll be the 20th anniversary and we'll be updating the 10 year old assets so it's just it's impossible it's impossible to keep up the golden gate bridge analogy that you've I love that my Golden Gate Bridge analogy. Yeah, paint if you haven't heard it's right. Just like Golden Gate Bridge, or they paint it every day. They paint it every day. And they start on one side and they get to the other end and they finish painting it and they come back to the beginning and paint it again because it's constantly getting corroded. That's what we're doing. We're constantly painting the bridge, starting over. But every time we start over, the bridge gets longer and wider. So it just it's just it's uh, it's impossible to keep up. You mentioned a moment ago about uh, updates to lighting. I figured I'd take advantage of that opportunity and ask, is there anything more you can say to that and, and what might be changing or coming? We are currently working on, you know, season 20 and um, we will be diving full, you know, into the Jaula story and where that's going to take us. And it's going to take us into um, some Klingon stuff. And that's about all I guess I could really say about that. But we will, uh, you know, that we've, we've been planting that story. That story has been slowly evolving. Some sometimes in the background, sometimes in the foreground. You know, we just had you know to hell with honor, which was, you know, that TF the TFO involving Jula attacking. Uh, you know, so you're you're you're, ta- you're taking out her shipyards, which she had basically commandeered. And so we're going to kind of we'll spring the story from there, going forward about what's. Uh, What's going on there? So, which means a lot of Klingon assets. Cat got a big smile on her face when you said that. Oh yes, <laughs> good. Yeah, which means that as we're looking at old Klingon assets and stuff, either characters or ships or environments as well. These are, you know, how can we, how can we most effectively make improve on those with the times that we with the time that we have? You know, we won't be able to just update everything and make new stuff. So, well, I think you'll see see some of that story go in that direction soon. I'm curious uh, if you're going to be focusing on. Klingon content, you probably won't be able to answer this, actually, now that I think about it, but uh, would Kronos First City possibly get a revamp? Would you use this uh, opportunity to maybe give it a facelift? Um, we we uh, we talked about it, mm-hmm. um, and we're, we're, we're talking about how we, you know, how we can do that. There's lots of different levels of what that means. Right. Um, I'm not afraid to share that. Jesse right now is working on updating a lot of the early Klingon missions from the design side, 
Jesse's are our content, one of our content designers, and trying to improve that the quality of that experience. And as we do that, we want to look at, you know, oh, then the artist's like, oh, we really want to update that art. Says, well, there's a lot to do. So can we put a spit polish on everything? Can we just maybe make a kit? The artists call us like a kit of basically reusable assets like hallways and rooms and just basically just, re, you know, everything just gets rebuilt from those kit pieces. Kind of like when you see the Glen, if you're inside the Glen or Discovery and basically the same pieces just arranged different ways. Or should we just build something brand new from scratch? If we do, can we reuse those in the story content so that way we're not rebuilding old assets and then have to also build a piece of story content? Can we make the story content in the environment that we just rebuilt? And if we're going to do something like Quonos, Remember, you've got an entire tutorial, which the second half of the tutorial, the later half of the tutorial, which is a lot of work to kind of take and then move into another environment. There's also a TFO on there um, that happens, uh, um, uh, an Iconian one. There's a lot to consider. I can't tell you what we might do with that as far as you know, what level of, of change or update might you get in a Klingon environment. So they just have to, the artists, just as much as design has to plan how much they're going to do on, which is what Jesse and I are working on to improve that experience. Art has to decide how they can spend their time to improve the art level, uh, the art side of that. I think you're going to see a combination of some things that are brand new, some things that are getting a, a little bit of change, some that are just getting a quick spit polish, maybe lighting changes and, and material changes and some things that are just, just going to keep the old way. I don't know how much. It's not going to be like 50% new and 50% old. That's that's it's not it's not possible. But some things will get a lot better. Um, some things will get a little better, and m most of it will stay the same. I think a lot of players will be very pleased to hear that there's going to be some Klingon content coming to the game. Yeah, I hope so. So before we jump into the future too much, I I do want to stay focused a little bit on on the 10th anniversary and the content that we were able to play the featured episodes, and of course the voice talent of Jerry Ryan and Sonequa Martin-Green. Can you share with us the genesis of that story and who thought up the idea of using the Excalbians? In general, the story ideas come from me. So I, I'm usually the one who directs the story ideas. Um, like this is kind of where I want to go with the main story. And it's usually it's going heading out for, you know, a year or two. And then from those basic ideas, then I work with the content designers Paul and Ryan and Jesse and John and then we kind of hash out say well what are the main beats we want to hit in a particular like over the next year um, over the next pieces of content where are those going to land what celebrities might be involved in that you know how many seasons we have how many pieces of content we can do and, and then we have all these ideas and you start placing them on the whiteboard we can go here it can go here this could happen here this is no good it's not going to fit we need something else and we change it so we just kind of lay out and if you kind of think about x4 the uh, d space 9 expansion it says okay well we wanted to have a story you know we want to have this Ferengi heist where you get the sort of Kalis back from the Iconians when we make and we want to have a story to tell about how Kyoko Paka is rescued and we want to have the story about how how the Herc is actually was created by the founders and that they're somehow tied to the Jem Hadar. And then you start weaving that out and start play, putting that on the board. So I start with the high level of the objectives I want to I want to I want to attain. And then the content guys, we all work all together to kind of figure out how that's going to fit into a story flow. And then once we're all happy with that, then I'll kind of write it all down specifically about what where I want those to land. And then the content team takes it and makes gameplay out of it. How could they turn that story into gameplay? 
and then Paul comes in and turns that into creates the characters and the dialogue and 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 background for all of those and everything you read is mostly Paul so he turns that into writing as far as this story here um, this was actually a story that I wanted to do with Agents of Yesterday when we did the TOS expansion. So it was one of the stories that was on the table. So we want, you know, I want to do those rubber, you know, the neuroparasites, the little rubber vomit monsters. I wanted to do a story about them. I wanted to do a type of not cool into that story. I wanted to do with as many as many TOS characters as we could. And I definitely wanted to be on the planet with, with the Torians, the, the big the Getty people. And one of the stories I want to do is an Excalibur story. I says, wouldn't it be great to do an Excalibur story that basically was just like in the show, that it was like a story of good versus evil. And that'll give us an opportunity to like just have a best of and show the players, all the heroes could fight against all the villains. And at the time it was not nearly as big as what the 10th anniversary turned into, but it was, that was, that was the genesis of that idea that I wanted to do that. That was six years ago. I can't even remember. And so it didn't happen. It was just that left on the cutting room floor. So as the 10th anniversary approached, I started thinking about it again and it definitely felt like the really good opportunity for us because then we could make an excuse to bring any character hero or villain into the story at the time we were thinking well we could basically bring any past or new star trek actor to this story because they could be constructs and of course then we could bring back any old villains i know we were trying to get gall into the story from um, the vaudoir he, we almost put him in, but the, the story, the episode just kept him getting so big and so big that we ended up having to cut Gaul. I think he was the only one that we ended up cutting. Gaul would have been a good touchstone for Seven of Nine to, to meet again. We were also we were, we were trying to figure out, the, the five of us trying to figure out what uh, each one of those stories were going to be. How was it going to unfold? At first, it was just going to be a replay. And I said, well, that's just going to be boring. And then we said, well, one, one idea was we were, were going to do with the Vaudoir. says, what if at one point the Vaudoir, we have a scenario where this is in the future, like basically each one of these stories would be, what if the villain had won? What if we did that? And so I said, well, what would happen if the Vaudoir had won? We could say like the entire world, the entire galaxy or, or, or was taken over. And so basically trillions of lives were going to die. And the player is faced with a choice of pushing a button, which would kill billions to save trillions could we do something like that we weren't quite sure how to do that and what if the person didn't push the button if we just forced you to push the button so that was where the genesis of of a choice started coming aboard but we weren't quite sure how to pull it off and how to pull it off in such a grand scale on every single story and then paul had a great idea where it all started coming together and it's just weird where sometimes this, everything starts coming together paul our writer came to came with an idea that we want to do a deep space nine tie-in it says well what environment what's going to be what's going to be interesting about that we couldn't figure out it says well what if when you're in the noye story that noye sees his wife and he goes, which stops him on his rampage. And then he goes to hug her and then shink, and then he, she shanks him and it ends up being the female changeling. And we all was like, oh, that's perfect. And then he could rewind, you could rewind time if you wanted to, to change to see if you could change the outcome without you save Noye or save the changeling. And that was the genesis. Okay, that's how we're building the whole story. That's where we're building each one of those. Is we're gonna put a twist in every single one of them, the replay like it was before, but with a twist and giving you a choice, as many of those as possible. And I always wanted to do a Borga fight. Iconian. And so what would be more terrifying than Borg or Iconian? And I said, oh, well, have Borg or Iconian. That'd be the most terrifying uh, thing we could do. And it allowed us to do it without actually doing it in the real world, um, because we don't want to just Borgify Iconians in, in, in the entire story. But this, gave, this allowed us to do all kinds of weird stuff. And for those people who are asking, 
why it didn't make sense. How could Taquette go and kill herself in the past? It's not time travel. You're not doing time travel in that episode. It's another construct. It is, it is, worse. It is the good construct for evil construct, the same way that you've got a good seven and an, and an evil seven of nine. You've got a good Taquette and an evil Taquette, and there, there's no time travel involved because it's just a play. Excalibians look at this as just a play. It's just another actor they put there. There's no temporal continuity associated with any of that. You aren't really 200,000 years back in the past. The one thing we did cut, which I was really sad we just couldn't pull off, is that we were going to make it so your choice with Michael, with the control, what your choice was going to decide whether or not you would get a seven, an evil control Borg hybrid version of Seven of Nine, or a control red angel version of Michael, and that you would have the green angel instead of a red angel. And then, so your fight at the end would be with a green angel, Michael, instead of a spark queen seven of nine. And you must assemble the pink angel, the red angel, the blue. Change a little in the red angel. A massive enterprise Zord. Not, maybe not the direction we were thinking, but yeah. But we just couldn't, we, we, were, we were so, this was the hardest a team ever worked on anything, and this was the time to do it. Um, so everyone was pushed to the limit about what we could do, art side and design as well. That we just, we just couldn't make that happen. It was just another character, control version of Green Angel plus a, then maybe a Borgified version of that, and a whole other boss fight. That just became too much that we could handle. But that's that was one thing else that, that also made it to the cutting room floor. That's such a cool way to like avoid time travel to do a construct episode like that. So you could bring yeah anybody back to do anything, and that's just it was a really really fun episode to play. And the way that you set it up like that, it you know all the characters that showed up made sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you enjoyed it. And of course, if 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 any of your listeners are not quite sure what was going on, obviously I encourage you to watch The Savage Curtain season three of TOS. The constructs, it's pretty close to Q when Q makes a construct being. It's not a holograph deck. It's not a, It's not as so much the simulation as much as it is. They, they are real. They are real in every sense that they, that, that they, they believe they are. They have the Excalibians build these constructs based on our memories and on our, and our computer records. So they're able to scan your records, scan your mind, and then build something. That's why they built Lincoln originally for Captain Kirk, because it was his hero, and built him to be exactly how Captain Kirk imagined Lincoln to be, um, as well as based on records, Starfleet records of him. And when they are, they believe that they're real. They kind of have these mental blocks as to, like, I don't know how I got here, but it doesn't really matter. It's almost like they're programmed in that way, but in every way, they believe that they're real. They have all the thoughts, they have all the emotions, they react how that person really would react and they are effectively made of flesh and blood. They are constructed like, like a replicator. They're made of real organic flesh, but they are artificial. So that allowed us to do whatever we wanted. And so that's where we started thinking, well, which, which might be the right actors to bring, the right characters to bring here? We had a lot of, a lot of ideas. At first, uh, you'll hear it here first. Um, so this is uh, we wanted to get we wanted to get uh, Patrick Stewart. That's what we really wanted to do. Could we get Patrick Stewart? But um, it would have been great to be able to get him because then it would have been he would have faced Locutus in the game. Um, oh so. man! <laughs> See now, I told you that'd be good. Oh, that would that'd be great. Man. <laughs> oh man! Oof. I want that. Maybe it will happen someday, but he was just way too busy because not only was he an actor on the card show, but he's also produ- you know, a producer, so he just was not available. He was just too busy. It was really hard even to work it out with Jerry Ryan because 
when we needed to record with her, she was doing press tours and then she was in Europe doing a press tour. So she was super busy. So it was really hard um, to work with her. And, but, and she's only in like whatever, well, she's been in two episodes now. So uh, however many more, she's you know certainly not as busy as, as Patrick Stewart was. So we talked about that. We talked about bringing back Denise Crosby and some of the old regulars. We even talked about bringing in, instead of Lincoln, um, we talked about bringing in Barack Obama. Uh, instead of Lincoln. Oh. <laughs> um, not the most accessible person, but it did come up as like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a Barack Obama and you could have Michael Burnham meet Barack Obama, the first black president. It's kind of a similar way that we had Lincoln you know, meeting Kirk. And so we thought that would be fun. So we had all kinds of really crazy lofty ideas. Did you try to reach out to him? We theorized about that in the podcast. <laughs> sort of. I won't, I won't get into details. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we fell onto the idea says, well, we definitely want to do something since we're coming out really close with the card. We wanted to, uh, tie into that as much as we could. And Jerry Ryan was someone that we already had a relationship with and worked with before, but we also wanted to, we wanted to, we wanted two characters to, so that way they could kind of play off each other. Two characters be very, in some ways, maybe very opposite of each other, but both representing good in very different ways. Um, Michael Burnham was, we wanted to go big. The opportunity to have two very strong women characters, good characters with different views, especially where Seven is now in, uh, in her more vigilante style goodness. Also um, something for Picard and classic, more classic Trek fans versus more modern Trek fans, right? So people who like Discovery. And so something for everybody. So that's where we landed on those two. And that, I think that worked really well. That, uh, for, for the two of them to work together. I think the anniversary episode turned out very, very well. I very much appreciated going back through some of the episodes that you've already played through in a different capacity and re-exploring re those. I, I thought it was a great homage uh, to the past 10 years of Stowe. So I think you guys knocked it out of the park. So we're trying to do, I call it, you know, We've heard that term before, you know, love letter to the fans. It was basically a celebration of all of Star Trek online, but also a celebration of all of Star Trek because with, I believe, the exception of the animated series, we represented every single, every television show of Star Trek in that anniversary, um, as well as all the best of Star Trek online. There's a little bit of everything in there. For 11th anniversary, we, we definitely want that uh, Picard look cutest thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We have different plans for the 11th, but maybe 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 uh, I, I think at some point we uh, you know we'll definitely we'll see where the Picard show goes and start uh, dipping more into uh, Picard actors and 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 stories and see and see what happens there. But it's still so new and still raw. It's really hard to start making stories based on a show that's still still moving really fast. I mean, you never know who might be dead. Their show takes place 10 years before me, before before us, before uh, before STO. Um, it takes 10 years before that, and they're, you know, some characters might be good, turn evil, some evil characters, evil turn good, and there may be some people who die and have completely different motivations by the end of the show. So um, there's, they share a You're lot. J.J. Abrams, your story. Well... What do you mean, J.J. Abrams? My story, just, just make it up as I go along. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I mean, blow up an entire planet that's, blow up the entire prime universe or a planet in the prime universe before it even gets to you. Yeah, they share a lot of where they're, you know, what they're doing with the story and where they're going. But you know, there are many details that they haven't worked out. I'm, they haven't written. I'm sure they haven't completely written season two and where that's going to go. 
Same thing with discovery. So we tend to kind of wait till the dust settles and find space that is safe for us. I mean, it's totally fine for us to make a construct of Michael Burnham because it doesn't interfere with the start with the discovery storyline whatsoever. We can do whatever we want with that character at this point. It's completely disconnected. We want to be internally consistent with how who her character is, but we could kill her off, or we could send her, you know, leave her in the future in 2411, and that's perfectly fine, and it doesn't affect anything that they might do in the future. So that's how we've been. Same thing with Stamets, and well, instead of. Um... Instead of digging into the episodes, I encourage everyone who's listening to this to check out our video platforms like Twitch or YouTube, because we will be doing a director's commentary of the episodes what? with our special what? guest. Who agreed to that? Captain Gecko. So yeah. we are we're really eager, but so we'll save this interview to talk a little bit more about the the you know the development of the game and where we are at ten years and moving forward. So in the most recent episode of Picard, Seven temporarily takes control of the artifact as a Borg queen. And in the 10th anniversary, a version of her is fully reassimilated as queen. Was that accidental? Did you know about that sequence in Picard ahead of time? Yes and no. So we came up with that idea without knowing what they were doing. And then we got information that that's where they were going. Wow. Um, when they found out we were basically doing seven of nine, we, we get stuff on a need to know basis. We get broad strokes. We get, you know, ideas like this character, this, and this is where the story's going to go, but no details. Um, so a lot of stuff we learn, um, either if I really need to know, I'll write, I'll write CBS and say, I really, we really need to know this, or we really need this asset or something. And then they'll, they'll, they'll get permission and then they'll, they'll give it to us. This whole thing was about these, making sure these characters faced their worst fears as much as the player was facing their last fears. Like, what was what was the worst of what you had to deal with? So they had to face theirs as well. Hence the idea I mentioned about the card potentially facing Locutus and said, well, of course she has to face Seven of Nine. I said, oh, well, what if she was even more queen? That would be even more of a nightmare for her. But then they told us about it, and then that kind of, uh, I wouldn't say an influenceness anyway, but it would kind of, but they told us a little bit how it was played out. And um, but, uh, but I think we did it better, so. I think it all worked out just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. It's definitely. Yeah, it wasn't. It, so it wasn't. It wasn't an intentional kind of. Hey, can you guys do this? Or hey, can we? You know, how can we? How can we tie these together? It was. Yeah, this is what we're going to do. And it says, oh yeah, we're doing that too. And this is how you should do it. And okay, that sounds great. We should do it that way. Kind of thing. Mostly, what it was was just on the voice direction and 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 talking with Jerry Ryan about how the Borg Queen should sound how a seven board queen should sound um and so got it got actually got a lot of information from from jerry ryan herself working with her because we had scripts but we didn't have the show to see so like we knew what the script said they would say but not how it might sound and a lot of that just happens between the actor and the director on the fly right and so a lot of that came thankfully from you know jerry she was very helpful talking to us about this is how seven acts now and this is how and this is how the Lord Queen would talk. Had she filmed already by the time she recorded with you guys? She was way done. She'd almost even forgotten a little bit of it. So it's like, oh, I had to get back. She had to get back into that character. She hadn't played it for, you know, that she hasn't played that seven for, you know, seven years like she played the original seven. So she hit so so it was it was us working together trying to find that space that new seven and Borg Queen Seven acted. So that was probably the most different and most difficult thing for us to do as far as working with an actor because we were then writing story and directing for a character that we hadn't even seen yet, only seen on paper. 
I think it worked out really good. So with respect to the tie-ins to Picard, we, for instance, now know that Echep is dead. How do things like that affect your storytelling or do you plan on retconning? I think Echep is already gone from whatever station he was on before he got removed. He is. What, you know, how does that impact you and how are, how will you deal with that in terms of the timeline for Star Trek Online? We will try to stay as accurate to canon as as possible. Like we have also, we have Hugh was in our game and we actually removed Hugh months ago because we, we knew what was going on there. So Hugh, Hugh is, uh, there's a, there's a patrol for Hugh. When we remastered the patrols, we pulled that, that patrol out. At least it should be. If it isn't, I have to go back to the office and pull it out on Monday. But it should have been removed. Well, now everybody is going to start thinking if something gets removed from the game. <laughs> Might be. <laughs> it's, it's foreshadowing what we're going to see um, on screen. Could, could, could be. So we're trying to stay as current as, you know, as accurate to, the, to, to uh, Picard as possible. Um, so far, there's been nothing really on the show that has in any way, I mean, with the exception of what they said what happens with uh, that data is is dead and that B4 was not rebuilt, which kind of kind of breaks a little bit of our of our path to 2409 and the uh, countdown comics. But the game, but the uh, but the show still is 10 years before any of those events. And we technically don't have data in the game, although we we, we imply that you see his hand in the in the game and we do have it in the path to 2409 story that's been like a collaboration between us and cbs there may be a time where they do something that we can't retcon that we can't just say uh, just redo it's easy enough to just delete a character like Echeb, who wasn't even voiced and, and didn't and didn't really even look like him it just was something that was made 10 years ago i don't even remember who put that in at, at any particular point it was just oh that'd be fun to do and so that's an easy to just remove because it doesn't affect anything it doesn't affect the story or the gameplay or even validate like it's not even a waste of money as far as hiring an actor if they go and do something like oh we're gonna kill sila i was like oh <laughs> 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 it's like <laughs> i can't stop them they're not going to not do it because star trek online did it they're they're that's they're that's that's their IP. They could do what they want with it, and and we're small potatoes compared to them. If that were to happen, would you guys just decide to to say, we are a forked story, we are our own universe, or would you hand wave that one aspect of the fact that it's incongruent and still try to stick to canon, or like, would you try to stick to canon in other areas, or would you just go nuts and you go know? Your own story? I, before you even answer that, Al, I I still believe that one day we're going to wake up and it's all a dream because the server is called Holodeck. <laughs> so I'm, just, I'm just half expecting. I told you my, I told you my, uh, my story. I think I told you on, on start on, on party one for how we're going to end Star Trek online. When, if, and when, when the day ever comes, didn't I tell you this story? What I was going to do? I don't remember. Yeah, they, no. no, that, the um, that's, I mean, it's just a joke. I wouldn't do it, but the story would be where, you have to go to, to Talos to meet the Talosian. And I don't know what the, how the story plays out, but you have to save them or fix them or help them. And, and at the very end, um, you, you encounter Christopher Captain Pike. And at the very end, then all the illusions fail. Your character fades, all the world fades. And then it's just Pike sitting there in a chair and you see a little beep. So you pull a Dallas and like everything was just his freaking dream. All of Star Trek Online, <laughs> which would piss everybody off, and we would never do it. But it's like, how oh, would it be funny if the whole thing was just was just an illusion of Pikes the whole time? You're going out anyway. Yeah, 
you're, you're shutting down anyway might as well no i mean i think that like would be i mean it'd be funny but i think it would be it would be insulting to the players who have invested so much believing their character is part of the world of star trek been, you know who have experienced all those and just say oh none of that really mattered i think it's what that feels like and i don't like it when tv shows do that so but it, I was just being I was just being mean. If they make some minor, you know, changes that that are inconsistent with us, anything they do that we can fix, we will fix. We will we will we will retcon as much as we can. And that goes for any show that they do that might take that might affect, you know, that takes place before 2411. Um, we'll we'll do our best to retcon anything. If if they change something that we can't fix and it's minor, I think we just hand wave it and just don't worry about it. I'm not going to get to, I'm not going to panic and do something dramatic because, you know, they said that, oh, you can no longer buy Kanar or something. And, you know, that's been, you know, and, and we drop Kanar in the game, right? Just like, it's fine. Just going to leave it. Uh, who, who knows? If they change something major, like I said, what if they go and they kill Sela, which, uh, I mean, hell, they're doing a Romulan story. Who knows? Maybe they bring Denise Crosby and bring and have Sela in season two or something, then kill her off in twenty-four, you know, in, in twenty-three eighty-nine, I think, or something is what their year is. We're not going to retcon all of Denise Crosby out of Star Trek Online. She's a, a really, really integral part of our storyline. At that point, we just will probably just say, okay, well, we're an alternate timeline, and and we will find ways to go back and forth between all the timelines, just like we do between Kelvin and 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 whatever so time tra science fiction is science magic so we just go back and forth between universes even if we are a end up having to do something like that we will say we will still try to keep everything in the game as we're not going to go haywire and just say all right well since they did that well then fuck it we'll just do whatever the hell we want i, I still want i still want it to feel as consistent what everybody knows as much as possible and so only change what we have to not not because we want to and say oh well hell we can just kirk's alive screw it no it's it's we won't do that i, I don't think that's necessary and we want to give give everyone the feeling that they are playing in that universe even if something over here isn't exactly quite right but at least we won't we won't try to do anything by accident like we won't like oh i didn't know that and we have to make us feel, feel ignorant if we we're ignoring something out of ignorance we'll be making conscious decisions for that so al we've noticed that newer more exotic ships such as lockbox ships um haven't been getting lore stories to explain how uh, us captains and admirals have been getting a hold of them is is there a conscious decision uh there to save time and resources uh, to just like hand wave the fact that we're getting um alien ships out of the blue or is this something that's gotten neglected by accident or I wouldn't say it's been neglected out of accident. I think that, you know, we originally did that to kind of understand what we were, to try to make it feel more in the fiction. I think whenever possible, we try to tie our our lockboxes to be themed more with what's going on. So even the last lockbox, the Borg lockbox, how we've got an entire Borg storyline on Picard. We're bringing the Borg queen and uh, a Borg a Borg storyline to the anniversary. So it all, we made sure the content, everything was supporting us. We had a theme of Borg, a Borg TFO event, a Borg lockbox, a Borg major Borg storyline. So I don't think that we necessarily ignore that, but we haven't actively tried to say, oh, this is how, uh, like we did say, for instance, with um, the 4400 story, and then we released, uh, this is how everyone got a hold of all these extra Jem'Hadar bug ships, because 
the, uh, the, the 4400 story opened up and all those ships came back through the wormhole. It wasn't, it's not tenable to continue to do that, um, partially because we're, we now have this influx of all brand new assets from, from CBS. We've got like the section 31 ship and we've got, um, we've, we've got all these discovery ships and now these card ships and we can't keep up because they're producing so fast and that's what's hot and exciting what people you know things that people want or are in their it's in their mind right now so we need to take advantage of that right now while it's while it's while it's interesting to people and it's much easier to release a ship into the store or in, uh, wherever it is the c store lockbox or wherever it's available to the players and it is to craft a story to make that line up perfectly the, those assets are coming too fast down the pike from CBS for us to adjust a story to make it work. It's just not tenable. We plan our stories a year, sometimes two years ahead of time, and as well as what our releases of ships are going to be. If we have an opportunity where CBS says, here's the La Serena, we're just going to put the La Serena out, right? You know, just, I'm not going to just change, we're not going to not do it because it doesn't line with the story or somehow magically change our story to squeeze it in. It's just not possible. That is the reason why that happened. And that's, and I, it's, it's the smart thing to do. So we've spent some time talking about story and, and how what is happening on screen impacts Star Trek Online and, and what you and the team are working on with respect to that. Like I mentioned earlier, we're going to be doing a director's commentary on the 10th anniversary missions that were released featuring Jerry Ryan and Sinequa Martin-Green. So for more discussion on the story, be sure to track that out. We'll have links, of course, in our show notes. I'd like to move on a little bit to some of the more nitty gritty things for Star Trek Online and its future. Um, you mentioned earlier, for instance, that uh, we're gonna be moving towards towards Jaula as the primary villain, if I understood correctly. Let's dive into some of the systems. Winters, why don't you take this first one? One of our Patreon supporters, Brett Klushaw, asked about the R&D system and uh, is there gonna be any updates for that? Um, like new recipes or anything? Ships, perhaps even? Ships. I don't think we have any plans for ships in the R&D system. Um, and the R&D system is something that I've, that Jeremy and I have talked about multiple times about wanting to overhaul significantly. Mm -hmm. I, I want to make it a little more accessible. I want to make it a little more, uh, it, it's all tied into upgrades, which ties into the Phoenix box and also ties into just generally drops. The crafting system is tied into reputation rewards and everything is kind of intertwined. So it's not a small change to just say, we just want to update the, the crafting system. One of the things about the crafting systems I want to do, and I don't think we have a really clear answer is, um, I don't like that you have these small, medium and large upgrades because there's nothing good about the small upgrades. They, you can, if you get them earlier, but they just, they're, they're lithium inefficient. And so mm -hmm. it's not like it's just smaller and it, it doesn't upgrade as well. It costs you more to not upgrade as well. So I'm not really happy with that design. And so, but it's not a small change to just turn that button and how, because then how it affects what it means for say, you know, Omega mini games or the Phoenix market. So there's a lot of things about uh, about that system I'd like to change, but um, I can't tell you when it's going to happen. It's certainly been discussed. As a matter of fact, I think in, in the, the end of the sprint, we're actually spending two weeks just kind of doing an economy review that would involve crafting. So basically, we're at the beginning stages of that, and which is still very, very early. It's basically coming up with what do we want to do with that? 
and that will take several weeks just to figure out what we want to do with that. And then from that will come a plan that will take that will be that we will absolutely not be able to do. And then so we will then have to break that down to what we can do to get to that to to execute that plan. That's the kind of thing that takes a long time, many sprints, many many updates to make happen. So right now we're just in we we have I think in four weeks I think we're planning on spending two weeks to plan it. Yeah, I think um, players you know if there was just new recipes for new exciting stuff it would invigorate the R&D system as a whole uh, but I'm curious something that Elijah uh, kind of mentioned there earlier many many years ago in the original R&D system it was possible to craft I believe it was the Delta Flyer have you considered maybe doing stuff like that you know like where you actually have to build a vessel whether it's a shuttle or, or a starship or whatever like it, it would be exorbitant costs going through the R&D system. Is it something that, you know, might happen someday or, or is it just like, no, forget it? I don't have a yes or no to that answer. I don't, you know, I don't have any specific plans whatsoever. I'm not thinking about that. And we are, we're, we'll, anything's on the table when we start planning about what we might want to do. I can tell you that the original plan of the crafting system was basically to be to support your other systems crafting system is not supposed to be the end-all be-all you get really good gear from reputations or from or from other places and then the crafting system is to make it better so that way people want both not that I can get all the best stuff from this one place you're both they're supposed to uh, uh, support each other so that's the one objective that we'd want to keep outside of that anything's possible okay so the next one then that I have to ask um, is the duty officer system now we've talked to Jeremy about this before and he you know, he explained how, you know, players have invested so much into the duty officer system. They have their roster of duty officers. They've leveled up the various commendation campaigns and what have you. Basically, what he was saying was a revamp is not really a good thing to do because you'd be wiping the slate clean. Kind of like what I was saying there with R&D, do you think maybe the addition of new missions, new nebulas and clusters uh, with new assignment chains, you know, just adding on to the current system that's there is that something that you might be able to work on at some stage i mean again i can't really speculate on what it might be because we're, we're, we're going to be meeting upon it in four weeks and discuss what we could possibly do i mean anything's on the table i, I have no idea what it might mean in, in, the, in the future doffing on an ipad please yeah that's not going to happen <laughs> i can tell you there that you won't happen um first of all it wasn't me because it was usually me about the mobile stuff but i mean you know skiffy you bring up a really good point al and al i don't know if you're aware of this but yeah somebody did something to put it on the phone through playstation or something yeah you can do playstation remote i don't know what the official title is for the playstation to be able to play on your tablet or whatnot but uh you've got now also nvidia's g now service geforce now service which is essentially it is a cloud machine running steam so you can download and play star trek online uh and do things like that and gosh i wish i had that five years ago you know so there you go welcome it's working <laughs> <Done. laughs> it's been part of our plan the whole time <laughs> you could have pulled it you could have told nvidia no we don't want this on on geforce now so thank you for not I don't doing know why that. we would so i i can't imagine maybe there's a reason some companies do but i i don't know i i don't know what's going to happen with duty officer or i couldn't if i did i couldn't speculate too much um with or or crafting um, whatever comes of it, we're just we're just in the beginning of just planning to have plans. That is all that I have right now to share for you. On those two systems. 
you're planning to have plans on those two systems. I think the focus right now is on is first on on crafting and how it affects the, gener the greater economy. Right. Um, a, a loot economy that is specifically, not necessarily, but they're all it's all connected. Is there a high priority system that you feel needs a redesign or rework? I think I, the two would be would be uh, reputation and two. I mean, reputation, crafting, and duty officers are the three biggest ones. Those. If I had to pick one, I probably would pick reputation to redesign. I couldn't tell you exactly what that meant, but mostly on the UX side, more so than anything else, uh, you'd be just having to slot projects. The same kind of stuff that we did when we changed the events that you had to like do old events that you had to go and play it and then take these tokens and slot them and then run the project and that I want I would love reputation to be a lot more automatic. Uh, that you just play content and it just and it just progress just happens. You don't have to slot these projects and and it's just just too much complexity there. It started small, we started a little bit there. Oh the reputation system can do it. Oh the reputation system can do it. And we just started building on that just like we did. Oh how we can do events. Oh I think the reputation system can do it. So I'd love to make that a, a cleaner UX experience for everybody. And there's also a lot of overhead on our side when we want to develop a new one. We want to rebuild it in a way that would make it less expensive for us to build something. So there's a lot of things that we make that I think are not really getting a lot of bang for the buck for, for players and they're just expensive for us to do. That's one I'd like to do and I think probably the second one would be crafting and then the third would be duty officer. I could do them in that order. I remember crafting being kind of like your baby. You, re, you were really excited about the new crafting system. and I'm always, I'm, I'm sure that I'm excited about the new one that will come out and then in five years, I'll be wanting to update it again. <laughs> it's just, that just keeps- Golden Gate Bridge. That just keeps and, and uh <laughs> I wouldn't say crafting was my baby. Crafting was more uh, was more D'Angelo's baby. But he's a big crafter, and he was the uh, the EP at the time when we made crafting. So that was a big push from him. It certainly was a huge, huge improvement that we were proud of from the from the original launch of the crafting system. But I know we can do better still. By the way, I, I do want to since you brought it up because I hadn't even thought about it uh, since it launched. But the event system you have now, I was very resistant to the fact that I couldn't bank. Um, marks you know tokens and you know bank days i i find that i don't miss that at all and i really quite like that new system and how easy it is the fact that it is automatic and transparent and the only reason i go in there is to check to see if my 20-hour timer is expired before i run a mission um yeah it, it just flat out just works and i quite like it and the rewards that you're getting from it that i've been getting from it have been awesome kudos to you guys for that yeah thank you it's um change is hard and no matter what you do you're, you know, if you're going to change something, you have to weigh how much better is it going to be versus what we might lose to do that. And it might feel like you're going to win 100% and you're going to lose 0% and still upset somebody. You know, duty officers, for instance, is an example. And then as you spoke with Jeremy and he can talk, he, he, I can't really add much more to what he's, than what he's said about it in the past. But I think especially with after what we've learned with Admiralty, we could make duty officers so much better if we could just delete everyone's duty officers, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, we, we just could, and but we can't do that. So how do we how do we honor that? We're much better game developers now than we were ten years ago. We just we just are. The company's smarter. The individuals are smarter. Um, we've just learned a lot, and so we. It's different, you know, when you're working in a game that's ten years old live. 
you're living with your mistakes you made 10 years ago, as opposed to if I'm just making a new game every two years, you make a new two or three games, you make a new game for retail, then you can just apply those lessons to the new game and your game just keeps getting better. So we can keep making our game better, but we're still living with the stuff that's old that we didn't know better at the time. We thought we knew the best. And then the same thing in five years, we'll be facing the same thing again. This is what were we thinking five years ago? That's the nature of an MMO or a live service like this. If I could just throw it all away and make a Star Trek 2, it'd be an amazing Star Trek 2, right? Star Trek Online 2. We've known, we know so much now, but I'm sure five years later, we would think, what the hell were we thinking? But, you know, the whole part of it is for everyone, it's just part of the journey, right? And every, as long as every time when we change the game and we add something to the game, as long as we're constantly making the game better, then that's, that's all that counts. And so as in the reputation system, I think overall, we just made the game better for everybody. That's the kind of changes we want to continue to make to the game. It's just to always just make it a little bit better than where we found it. All right, let's dive into some more community questions. Yeah, we have some community questions. Phoenix Blue asked, uh, are there any other Borg ground TFOs uh, that are going to be revamped similarly to uh, Into the Hive? And will we see elite versions of those? Elite's easy. I mean, we eventually want to turn everything into uh, have it make sure that everything has advanced elite versions. Lessons we learned from updating those three Borg TFOs. Well, first of all, yeah, a lot of the Borg TFOs, old ones, are pretty are, are not great. They're not bad, and especially some of the couple of the ground ones that are still remaining in there are really um, about ready to just turn them off. We learned that updating the space TFOs were a lot easier than updating the ground ones, um, as far as time investment. So that means is more likely if we do update them we're more likely just throw them out and start over as opposed to try to update what we had it seemed like oh this would probably take a few days and then well maybe it's gonna take maybe a week and then it became like three weeks and says well for three weeks into the high we could have built something brand new in five so we'll probably just rebuild a lot of old stuff the the space ones only didn't didn't take nearly as long to to polish up and our goal was not to like make something brand new the goal was just you know these are rough around the edges they don't message very well players are not quite sure what they need to do or new players at least i mean everyone knew how to play infected space unless you were new and then it was overwhelming and then you felt like an idiot because you didn't know what to do and everyone was doing it and yelling at you for not doing it right we wanted to make sure everyone knew what they needed to do. It was messaged well. That the, the VO is telling you what to do. The mini contacts are telling you. The mission tracker on the top is telling you what to do. And those arrows pointing at what you need to do. So everyone can participate, regardless of your experience level. And 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 fixing scoring so that way it was more fair. And I think those were good wins. And then we tried to do the same thing in Into the Hive. And Into the Hive is really fun now. And I hope everyone plays that. It's, it's actually people playing way more infected space than into the hive everyone should check out into the hive because it's really good right now but it took a lot of work to do it's just much harder to do groundwork than it is space work so i think if we do some of the other ones we'll probably just just start over which is not a bad thing so the short answer is yes they'll get updated the long answer is it's going to take us longer than we had hoped by the way into the hive is the episode that forced elijah to update his ground gear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah true story true story yeah, very much so <laughs> Um, while we're on the topic of, of TFOs, um, this is something that I've been experiencing more so recently than I have in the past. And I know other players have kind of been living with this for a while are pugs and the tendency for some players to take advantage of the ability to just sit back and not do anything while everybody else is doing the work. I'm a little salty about it. I'm sorry. It's, this is, this is a fresh wound for me. <laughs> um, has there been any other thought or any other, um, theories and methodologies on, on how to mitigate that players who either go afk or just leave in the middle of a tfo 
yeah, I mean, funny you should mention it. Our 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 lead engineer, who uh, Keith, who actually is a pretty hardcore STO player, which is great to have an engineer who's a hardcore player. So he's our our, our lead engineer. He's actually it's on his short list of trying to update AFK penalties, particularly because we've got um, we've got uh, first contact day coming back. That's coming up soon. So people take advantage of first contact day because you can AFK that one because there's no combat. We're able to test tell when you're in combat, um, but things like clickies are certainly we can't currently do. And then some of the rules are not great. So he wants to improve that. It's an arms race. I, I'll just still like, what's wrong with you? Why why would you come to play the game to not play the game? I, I'm always baffled by the shortcuts people will do to try to avoid the game that they want to play. So I, I don't get it. I don't get the psychology. I other than farmers, and maybe it's just a game for them. That's their own meta game that they make. But but you don't want to punish people and end up with too many false positives and ending up punishing someone who legitimately you know it's happened right. So if you're in a TFO and then what if two people quit? Uh, if you if they quit early, they'll get backfilled until someone else will come and join. But we don't want them joining too late because I want to play a TFO and I come in too late into a TFO. Says, oh, that's not the experience I want. I want to play from the beginning. I missed the first half. We do let people join a little late, but if they don't jam join late and then two people quit, well, now I can't finish it. Should I? If I quit, then I get the lever penalty. Finding that balance about when to penalize someone because they're legitimately just being whatever. Lots of times people just quit. Says, "Oh, this is not the TFO I wanted, so screw it. I'll just quit." And and then you screw everyone else's experience. At the same time, not trying to penalize someone who says, "Wow, well, two other people quit on me. I I can't do this at all. So I want to quit. And I shouldn't be penalized." Um, same thing for just being AFK and not doing any work versus someone who is um, didn't do that much work at one point and just was a, you know just because they were healing somebody or just just running escorting ships back and forth instead of uh, instead of shooting so it's not a binary answer it's just that it's a constant arms race to try to make that perfect um we can make it better we're actively looking at trying to make it better it will never be perfect because people i mean i was thinking as, as i was experiencing it myself these last couple of weeks um you know i'm sure that you guys have a lot of numbers in the back end you know is there any way to just measure like for instance dps if you're not averaging x amount of dps in in a certain time frame currently how it works right now it's measuring your dps and other things that i won't comment too much on so because if i tell you how it works then people will figure oh, out yeah, how to yeah. get around it yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's exactly why that doesn't work in uh, first contact days because there is no dps in first contact day but people will do afk on first contact day but by the way al um one of the things i've noticed i've been playing on geforce now quite a bit and they have a pretty i think a pretty good and fair system for how they measure if somebody's afk or not on what now uh, GeForce Now, the the NVIDIA streaming thing, which uh, you you can sign up for free and try it out, and you can even play Stow on it for free. Um, but you might look into that to see what they're doing, because I think they've got a good system there. Okay. And I was thinking, too, um, what about, like, a voting? Uh, I forget what game I was playing. Was it was it Overwatch? I don't know. But, um, like, a, a voting method where, you know, if all four players want to kick one player, they can, because the one player is just AFK. That's been discussed and but there are certainly potential problems with that so <laughs> immediate problems very <laughs> can be um could definitely be abused um even accidentally 
it's not it's it's tough man these are the same problems we had with um when when we had and i hate to open you know for salt in the wounds but you know with with foundry when we were trying to award for foundry trying to make it like oh a lot of people want to play foundry and get and so we want to have rewards for it but then people would make foundry missions that you could just go and click in and get you know ten thousand experience points or whatever or just and this and so we kept trying to that's just an arms race that sometimes is just really hard to just to make perfect anytime you put rules in the control of players that they can manipulate then it just it comes becomes problematic it just always does can I go on record as saying I liked First Contact Day last year because my rocket always won? Oh, that's that's uh, that's I think that counts as bragging. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned it first out, First Contact Day. What uh, can you tell us, if anything, about uh, this year's celebrations? You'll still be able to do the one that you, the, the rocket launch game that you experienced, but there's there's more stuff coming for First Contact Day. Is there any chance we'll see a return of Utopia Planitia? Um, not this year. All right, so another community question came from uh, Priority One Armada Vice Admiral Zianto, and he asks, what piece of content from Picard would Alf, would you like to see uh, get added to the game? What piece of content? Or, or item, or... Well, I, just, I mean, so I just want to make thing. sure, yeah, some people say content <laughs> and they mean different things when they say content as far as what we do and what we mean and when we say it in the biz. Um, just to be clear, when, we, when I say content, I mean mission, an event, uh, a story. Uh, content is generally the thing that you do. Um, systems make things you do it with. So systems make ships and guns and powers. And then art makes assets. But I'm assuming what they meant is just what in general do they like to pull from, from Picard to put into there, whether that whatever that might be. Um, well, you made a board queen. You made a seven board queen first. Yeah, we did that first. Um, we also uh, tipped Fenris Rangers first in our story. I didn't see a lot of people pick up on that. They did. They, they didn't mention it too much. But yeah, we mentioned the Fenris Rangers ahead of time in the, in the, in our story. Have you stopped listening to Priority One Podcast? Um, no, I listened all the time. Did you mention, did you mention it? I listened to it every, every Monday. Pretty sure, yeah. I'm almost positive. Skiffy, didn't we do Power Rangers to Fenris Rangers? Yeah. Oh, you did that. But I just meant just, just that I don't know if we can't remember if uh, anybody noticed like when the anniversary came out and it said and Fenris Rangers was mentioned in the episode I don't remember anybody saying, what is that? So I had hoped more people would kind of ask questions about it. And then it wasn't, then it was mentioned later in the card. Well, we've seen a number of ships. We've seen obviously the La Serena. We've seen. It's just La Serena. What did I say? Did I say <laughs> it's that? not the La Serena. Just for you. <laughs> I'm going to do that now on purpose from now on. <laughs> he Latino shamed me. So. <laughs> That's okay. He did that to me the other day too. So. Madre Vera. Yes. Yo espero mejor de ti, de ti chico. What, what if we said the La Serena? No, it's still wrong. <laughs> they do it over because, like, yeah. over here we have we have uh, um, El Camino, and so people always say go to the El Camino, and it drives me bananas. So. Right. Get it. Um, so uh, it's worse because El, Cam El Camino is the street, and so they say go to the El Camino Road, and I'm like, right. <laughs> it's like the the road road. <laughs> La Serena, Seven of Nine ship, the Romulan ships, the Synth ships. Well, we already have board cubes, so I mean, leveraging that whether uh, is is one thing. But we've seen lots of costumes, uh, lots of outfits. Um, Casual outfits. Yeah, not casual outfits, but we still have the we have the older Starfleet uniforms to bring out. 
right? We released the current ones, but not the ones with the pointy shoulders. So we've got those outfits to release still. Um, there are, oh my God, there's a ton of stuff in there. Technically the, um, the Talciar uh, CSI device um, is already in our game. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's Kumarki's did it, did it in, uh, I think, was it sunshine or sunrise? What's the name of the sunrise? Sunrise. So where she, yeah, she, she, uh, does. So they stole it from us because we did it first. <laughs> we have it where she CSIs and you can see where the ancient, you know, what, what the reconstructs the ancient oh, ceremony. Yeah. Oh, right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. take right. that Kurtzman. But you guys stole it from guardians of the galaxy. So no. <laughs> Did we? No, we did it before Guardians, didn't oh, we? Oh, was that before Guardians? I think so. So they took it too. <laughs> so, so we did that one already. There's certainly there's that that Romulan double pistol, yes. right? That oh, comes yeah. out the side, yeah. Very and cool. then that mining laser that's that's uh, the synth murders everybody with. Basically, if you see it on the show, eventually it's going to be in our game. I won't uh, venture to start talking about which which uh, storylines or how we want to tie into it story-wise. Uh, I think we have some pretty good ideas about what we want to do with that, but it's way too early to talk about. And characters gets a little tougher because, um, like I said, you don't know what they might do with characters going forward uh, just in the next couple episodes, right? I mean, if you asked me two weeks ago, would you put Hugh in the game? And what could, you know, what could I say, right? So... Now you know. Would you go and put? You know, would you, you know, when are we gonna see more of Hugh now? And it's like, uh, it, damn it. It's a shame too because they <laughs> they left open a really good opportunity for Stowe to explore some of his. I don't think they're stories. worried about what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, they, they're they're what the, what the show did was create an opportunity for for somebody to write in stories that haven't mm -hmm. been told with Hugh and what he's been doing for the last twenty. Years. Sure. But I don't think there's no shortage of what we could do. And then there's always time travel, so, and whatever. There's always another method um, to bring somebody forward. It is science fiction, science magic, practically. John, John Delancey, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if there's a, a, any, any, generally any assets, you're, just, you're eventually just going to see them in the game. Same thing on, this, on, uh, on Discovery. There's a ton of stuff on Discovery that um, we're currently working on right now. So there's a ton of things that you're going to, and things... We're just never going to run out of stuff to put in the game, luckily, because of all these shows. And we're just going to get to the point where we're just not going to be able to keep up, which is a great place to be. I got a feeling. I got. I, I heard. I, you know, the last episode of Picard, they said, "Oh, go to go to Starbase. Go to Starbase." Forty-six. Use Space Twelve. Oh, Deep Space Twelve. Yeah. Deep Space Twelve. Deep Space Twelve, and we're sending the fleet there. I'm like, ah, let's can't wait to see those ships, right? Ooh, Where are they going to be? Where are they going to send? I'm sure we'll see them um, in the last two minutes of the final episode, and it'll be a cliffhanger for season that's two. That's all you need. <laughs> that's all we need. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I'm sure we're going to see some exciting stuff at the end, and um, we'll do we'll probably leverage into that. I know that you get asked this a lot, you know, with respect to when are we going to get this ship? I, another ship or this ship. I can't help but think of, of the Emmett Till, which was designed by John Eves for the DS9 documentary, because we may have actually seen an icon for it or a display for it. Yeah, I don't know if that was, yeah, I, I saw people speculating about whether or not um, Rios's former ship was actually an Emmett Till. My guess is that wasn't the Emmett Till. 
I don't think it was. I thought there was a, ask me an AMA where he said that was not the same ship. It was like a weird answer that he did, uh, Shabon on his Instagram account. But but my, my real question is though. I mean, it's just a top-down version of, just a top-down version of a standard Starfleet configuration. At first I thought it was a Luna class when I first saw it. But are we gonna get the Emmett Till? We'll eventually get the Emmett Till. I think that's, um, I don't know. I don't know when that's gonna happen, but. I'd love to have it come out timely with, with his, uh, with Emmett Till. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Whether his birthday or, or something timed with that. Or, or yeah, I just think that. It's but then again, it gets weird. Then it gets weird whether or not we're like, profiting off of something a tragedy. Right. So it gets weird. Right. I mean, I think that with the. But you want to honor it. Right. And I think that with the Emmett Till, especially if you if you were to link it to something maybe like a ds9 story because that's what we got with the documentary right it was the, the continuing voyages of deep space nine uh, and that cast and crew and so yeah there's that risk of you know capitalizing on it but at the same time i think it's very easy to to write well i say easy but in the grand scheme of things if to tie it into something deep space nine related it's yeah, it, it's it's actually really, really not easy to just tie it into a DS9 story. It's really easy. It's really easy to write one-off stories uh, to say, hey, when, I, I want a Frankie story. I want a Deep Space Nine story. Or I want this other, you know, this, this thing. One-off stories are really easy, and I get people over at work all the time. Hey, why don't we do a story about this? Says, I don't need a story. I need an arc. What's going to take us for the next, you know, six six episodes for the next year or two years every time we diverge to a to a one-off story and then six months between story beats so um the trick is interweaving it into the existing arc um if we were how do you interweave a deep space nine story about the emmett till fighting the borg into a jewel story arc about discovery that's not an easy thing to just stick in there and we have limited time where we can place these episodes. It's just there's not, I mean, we do one or two per season um, and then try to back it up with a backstory with a TFO. And then you're also hiring actors that you want to give them the spotlight. And the more actors and, and side stories you do, the more you take away from that, from focusing on, on them at that time. So it's actually quite challenging to do. And then, of course, there's the assets involved in doing all of that. If we're going to tell a story about, uh, one particular thing we got we need to make all the environments all the character all the ships about that story yeah i might say hey we, we could just do this thing about d space nine the emmett till well someone's got to build the emmett till and the captain for the emmett till and and whatever other assets that take that story it's, it's actually a daunting amount of work just to even throw in throw in something to try to tie it into the story um, the ideas are easy that the execution's hard i can say with a lot of certainty that it, that we will have the emmett till in the game we have permission um and so we just need to find the right place to do that. And then that comes back to the original questions. I think, who was it? Was it Winters who asked me? I forgot who asked me about why we don't tie the stories into the assets that we sell. If we do the Emmett Till, we might just, just release it and not worry about tying it to story. Because if we wait to, you know, we may not be able to ever tie it into a story. Um, and then we never, if we can't, then we may never be able to release it. So. So Al, the game is now 10 years old, uh, a remarkable milestone. And again, congratulations to, to everyone there. Um, what's the future look like for Star Trek Online, uh, even if it's just for this, the rest of this year? Um, I think about things like 
player retention, getting people back into the game, returning players, get, you know, keeping those cheeks in seats, uh, so to speak. And again, also how Star Trek will evolve with, with the upcoming shows. I don't have a magic answer for you. I think that our 10th anniversary was, uh, was tremendous for reacquisitions. Uh, a lot of uh, lapsed players came back to the game. A lot of new players came to the game. Um, and we had tremendous numbers as far as, God, I hate that word tremendous. I just can't say tremendous anymore. Just like no longer can say that. <laughs> um, but a lot of, um, it showed that people were really, really still interested in Star Trek Online at this point. And I think that how we're going to keep that going is, I don't think is, any, is significantly different than what we've been doing all this time. And that is we will continue to, we'll have great ships will have great we're going to headline them with great stories that we're going to constantly tie into um star trek and all the new shows we're not going to be able to keep up with picard and then right around the corner we'll probably i'm going to guess is going to next will be discovery season three we've been talking with uh mike mcdan from lower decks about what we can do with them seen some of their assets talked a little bit about their stories then there's the Nickelodeon show, and then we'll have a Section 31 show, and then another Picard season, and another Discovery season, and then who knows what the other two shows will be coming around, whether it's a Pike show or a, a Starfleet Academy show or a Captain or, or a Magnificent Seven show. Who knows? But we'll be leveraging into all that. So the assets, like we'll have so many assets to be using and so many, um, so many stories to leverage. That's just given us such a shot of bite vitamin B to create stories that are really contemporary right now. You know, that tied in with, with different types of events. Um, the event system is still just in its, in its early stages about what we can do with it. It's proving to be extremely effective and um, extremely sticky. Um, I see no reason not to be doubling down on, on, those, on the event system going forward. I think, that, I think that in general, what you can count on is us really leveraging the actors and the stories from the existing shows, Picard and, and Discovery and everything else that's coming out and seeing more of that in Star Trek Online. I think that people are excited about that. They love to see their, their favorite characters. I think they like what we do with the stories, even sometimes when they don't like Discovery, or uh, they like what we do with our Discovery stories because we take those stories, but we tell them in our way. And I think if you like Star Trek Online, you'll continue to like what we're gonna be doing with that. So I don't have any, oh, we have this brand new super system that's coming out. I don't have an answer for you then. We, we don't, we don't have a brand new super system coming out. But I think that you'll continue to see quality content, quality stories for, for many, many years to come. Our next, you know, our next year, we'll be, we'll be starting to zero in on this Jewelo story and, and some Klingon stuff. And then we have some ideas about where we're going to go from there, but I will hold off on commenting on what those will be for, for the time being. Well, Al, I want to thank you for spending a Saturday afternoon with us. Don't forget, Captains, that we have even more content featuring Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera. We're going to be doing a walkthrough playthrough of the 10th anniversary story missions featuring voiceover talent by Sonequa Martin-Green and Jerry Ryan. So be sure to check that out. Links, of course, will be in the show notes and, of course, all over our social media accounts. Al, thank you again so very much for speaking with us about Star Trek Online's 10th anniversary and its future. As always, it's great having you. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, I just want to take a moment just to say I hope everyone 
out there is staying safe and doing everything that they can to keep yourself and others and loved ones safe. And um, I think many of us nerds have been preparing for this all our lives. And so we'll see you all on Star Trek Online. But be safe in all honesty. Um, it's scary out there and we're all with you. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Our first community question this week was, do you plan on using the Vulcan Salute as your new de facto greeting? Have you been using it already? From Facebook, Jason Smith writes in and says, I would if I was in a country that knew what it was or didn't already have a de facto greeting that doesn't involve touching. But Japan is Japan. Instead, I have fun teaching my students how to do the salute. On PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell writes in, as much as having more folks embrace Star Trek stuff sounds cool, having everyone around using the Vulcan salute at each other, eh, that sounds weird. I mean, that's our thing, right? Though, honestly, all of the other convoluted greeting substitutes, bumping elbows, you know, all those things, foot shakes, hugging, the air, finger guns, etc., seem kind of pointless anyway. Can't we just wave hi or something sufficiently generic instead of trying to force some other hey, we have to shake hands without shaking hands facsimile. Good questions. We don't have to worry about those things here on Priority One Podcast because we all live in separate states. That's right. <laughs> and when you become a volunteer for PriorityOnePodcast.com, the uh, agreement is that you get one virtual high five a year. That is the boilerplate in the agreement. So we were ahead of this whole thing. Years ahead of this. Our second community question this week was, do you plan to follow the development of the new STO summer event ship? From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell again. If the Rising Escort is basically a racing boat and the Rising Cruiser is a luxury yacht slash cruise liner, maybe the science ship should be something like an advanced submarine, something that some famous marine explorer would use to see the ocean floor. On Twitter, Hippie John writes in, yeah, the summer ship design extravaganza will be fun to follow. Also, Hippie John uh, sent his thanks to us and Al Rivera for the interview and the content that um, that we put together for the show. So thanks, Hippie. Did any of you guys watch the live stream uh, last week of uh, Taco Fangs designing his version of the ship? I missed it. I want to see it, though. I, I think it's still on Twitch for replay. It was quite fun to watch. Well, I want to watch this week for sure. Well, that wraps up episode 453 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry podcast network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like Diana Gunther, Darnell Dwayne Ross, David K. Rutley, Joshua Selig, and Peter Archibald. And of course, before we go, here's our community questions for this week. First up, who is your favorite Rios, the original one or one of his holograms? Also, what was your greatest takeaway from our interview with Al Rivera? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in our conversations. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. 
And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, me, and the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Now, if you cannot make a financial contribution, we understand. So there's another way that you can help support the show. And that's by sharing it with your friends. Invite your fellow Trekkies to get their weekly roundup of news right here on Priority One. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, The Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. A very special thanks to our guest this week, Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, William, Brandon, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, with support from associate producer, Shane Hoover. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Stay safe, everyone. Wash your hands. <laughs> Don't touch your face. Engage. Engage. to the YouTube videos page, check out our show notes. Sounded like Bernie Sanders there for a second. Uh, tell you what, I can go to the YouTube. Go to the YouTubes. Go to the YouTubes. It's, <laughs> it's all there, Biden. Everything's it's all everything there, Biden. there is on the YouTubes. Anything <laughs> anybody wants to talk about is there. On the YouTubes. The YouTubes. <laughs> it's on the internet. It's a series of go tubes. Go to the YouTubes. My good friend Ted Stevens passed away many years ago from Alaska. It's called a series of tubes. It is now YouTubes. The tube for the people. Star Trek gun. <laughs> Can't go. Jeez. God. God. Yeah. Slows down. Jeez. Cat. <laughs> Star Trek on. Dang Go. It. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek online's now. Mud's market. Da- Elijah. <laughs> <coughs> oh no, I'm coughing. I have it. Oh my god. Oh no. He touched his face. He touched his face. He touched his face. Keep your hands I off the tea. Into my hand, not my sleeve. Keep your hands <laughs> off the tea. <laughs>
<laughs> like, I okay. need the rubbing alcohol now. I'm just going to drink anyway. it. <laughs> On screen in three, two. I'll toss it back to you, Elijah, because you have to do the first oh. part. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> My bad. Computer. Set Star Trek. <laughs> Go. Now. Computer. Beep. Do it. Set Star Trek Picard. Episode 8. Broken Pieces. On screen. Beep, beep, beep. And Elijah says. Sorry. Beep, 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 beep. That's not in the copy. Including spotlighting some of our amazing members. Spotlighting, yeah. Spotlighting. <laughs> That's the North Carolina way to That's say right. it. <laughs> I'll start over. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.